Please open up your Bibles to Mark. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 15, as I read aloud. This is the word of God. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder and insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. And we're at the end um, of the series of trials of our Lord Jesus Christ. Short hear hearings, really. There were three Jewish trials, followed by three Roman trials. So in quick succession... Um, there, there was, of course, the, the preliminary hearing before Annas. He was rushed off to Caiaphas, who was the sitting high priest at this time. And then there was the hearing before the whole council, that is, the 71 of the Sanhedrin, which led to three Roman trials as Jesus was bound and, and taken to Pilate. Pilate sent him off to Herod, and then Herod sent him back to Pilate. Um, John 19.14 tells us that those trials, all of them, um, uh, essentially were over by about the sixth hour. So somewhere around 6 to 7 a.m., um, the trials were over, over and, and Jesus was ordered to be crucified. This morning, we, we enter the third and final trial of our Lord. We hear the question posed to the crowd. Who do you want? Jesus or Barabbas? And as we consider this morning, beloved, the choice of Barabbas over Jesus, uh, we must see that this event is not something that merely took place 2,000 years ago, but is an action that reveals the natural choices of us all. The natural choices of us all. So considering that, um, let's go to prayer before we um, look at the text this morning. Lord God, we ask again for your help. Make the book come alive to our hearts. Give us eyes to see more intently the reality of what has taken place in this exchange. 
that we might learn more of your grace by way of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, Were it not for this encounter, from which Mark just read, um, and and the others that we looked at last week with regard to Pilate, uh, we would know nothing about Pilate. Pilate has been preserved um, throughout time um, as believers for centuries uh, reference his name regularly, some weekly, we monthly. When we speak of Jesus Christ, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate in the Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Pilate was a pagan Roman captain who had only one concern, and that was a maintaining peace and, and quiet in Judea in order that he might have peace with Caesar and maintain his authority role, and function. Pilate was the prefect governor of Rome, and of all the assignments a Roman governor might be assigned, Judea was the worst in terms of its geography, in terms of its topography, and its distance from Rome. No one wanted this watch. And add to that, it's, it's religious separation from every other pagan belief system in the world. It made it a, a hotbed for, for sedition and insurrection against Rome. This was his watch. And during this time, um, Pilate was serving under the scrutinizing eye of, of Tiberius Caesar, um, under whom he had been disciplined on two separate occasions. So already, Pilate um, is on shaky ground, if you will, uh, with this particular Caesar, and he could not afford another problem. So here, um, from a politician's perspective, Pilate is between a rock and a hard place. He does not want to be overly offensive to the Jews and antagonize them into some type of popular revolt popular revolution, nor does he want it to be said in Rome that he was soft on someone claiming to be a king. So his question back in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews, is an entirely political question. He has no theological interest. He has no salvation, salvation history interest in that question. No biblical theology interest. His interest is entirely political. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him basically uh, the same way he answered the chief priests who asked the same question. Jesus said, you know, I think I just heard you say it. You've said it, it is as you say. See that in verse 2. So in Pilate's interrogation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what's most fascinating is that Pilate hears no political threat in the Lord's response. None whatsoever. Mark helps us see that plainly. John, he helps us see that explicitly, as we saw last time. John 18, 31, look at it. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the words that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It wouldn't be stoning. It would be crucifixion. In other words, they're demanding the most ruthless application of Roman justice, crucifixion, when Rome sees no cause. Evil religious hypocrisy. Now, back in verse 3, we notes, um, while they accused him of many things, Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? So the silence of Jesus, you see, it begins to frustrate Pilate. Um, he's nervous and, and basically says to Jesus, help me out here. Help me out here. You must say something in your own defense. Do you hear all these charges? Now, we're reminded here that, that it wasn't only what Jesus said that amazed people. Here, it's even what he doesn't say. No, verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Amazed. Beloved, the reason Jesus refused to answer Pilate is because he's already been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was there that he wrestled with regard to the consequences of his heavenly Father and that in the cup that he would have to drink, the cup of God's wrath, the torture that he would have to bear, the death that he would have to face in order to release you from the bondage and condemnation of sin. Silence. He cried out to the Father three times, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's settled. So when you see the silence of the Lamb here, when you read these accounts, when you see the silence of the Lamb, remember two things, beloved. Number one, how committed he is to you that he should die for the sins of his people in silence. And secondly, remember the silence of those spoken of on Judgment Day? Remember what the Scripture says with regard to all those who reject Christ this very day and reject Him to the end? On that day, every mouth will be shut. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Every mouth will be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, they'll have nothing to say before the condemnation of Almighty God. Hand over mouth. Oops. It'll be more than oops, let me tell you that. So give thanks, beloved, that you will not be part of that silent party on that day because Jesus took that silence for you on this day. And for any hearing my voice, I, I come to find out oftentimes that even unbelievers listen to us online. They don't like it, but they listen to it. It's interesting that modern technology serves some good. I love that. Um, if you happen to be one who, who runs your mouth, rejecting Jesus Christ, 
and you think that you're going to have a few words for him on the last day, think again because Scripture says your mouth will be shut. And amen. That leads us to verse 6. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Now, it had become a custom that during Passover, um, a Jewish prisoner would be given freedom. The custom was Passover amnesty, according to the people's choice. Now, we're familiar with presidential amnesty, that our president can release a prisoner from prison because he's president. Here, um, it was a gift given to them on Passover by Roman authorities. Pilate would allow them to call for one of their own to be set free. And notice verse 7, And among the rebels in prison, among the rebels who were in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Bar-Abba, son of the father. That's the meaning of his name, son of the father. Bar-Abba. There are actually a few Greek manuscripts, beloved, that preserve this man's name as Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, remember, was a very common name in the first century. That's why when we read the Gospels, we read it's Jesus of Nazareth, the one who is the Christ. He is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of the Father, that's his name. Now, as we piece the Gospels together... We, we read that he was a notorious prisoner. We read that he was a robber. We read that he was a rebel. He was no ordinary crook. Verse 7 tells us that he had committed murder in the insurrection, the uprising. We don't know what that was about, but this tells us, this informs us um, that his first readers would have known about it. The insurrection. In other words, Barabbas was involved in the Jewish efforts to throw off Roman rule, and he was likely viewed as some kind of hero, some kind of Robin Hood figure. So the descriptions of Barabbas from the gospel accounts provide for us an intentional contrast between a man convicted and condemned living on death row, for every crime Jesus was accused of, but yet was perfectly innocent of. And what is that? Insurrection. This is the contrast. Here's a guilty man. Jesus is accused of that very same thing, and he is entirely innocent. Barabbas. Verse 8, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them every Passover. Okay, so that that act of amnesty, that that actual release of a prisoner um, of one of our own. And they're going to call for Barabbas, just a couple of minutes. So that's what they inquire about. And Barabbas was was likely the leading zealot of this insurrection. So um, in their minds, he was a very popular hero. Oftentimes, in, in movies and such, like, say, The Passion, for instance, remember the, the Barabbas character there was, was depicted as like a, a toothless buffoon. He wouldn't have been that. He would have been viewed as a hero. 
Kind of like Osama bin Laden was to, to certain Muslims. Intelligent, but evil. Barabbas. So now here, while under immense pressure from the local leaders, from the Jews, Pilate comes up with an idea in verse 9. He answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now remember, Pilate has no desire to try this case. No desire whatsoever to try this case, this Jesus of Nazareth who, who claims to be Christ. So he attempts to play the amnesty card. You want me to release Jesus? How about that, huh? He was familiar with Jesus' popularity among the people. So he's thinking in his mind, no doubt, well, perhaps they'll choose Jesus. So he thought. Now, Pilate was an astute enough politician to realize that he was being used as a pawn. That they had delivered Jesus over, not because he's a criminal, but because they were envious of Jesus. Look at verse 10. He perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Envy. Envy is anger and resentment caused by another person's success. They resented his popularity. They resented his miracles. They resented the size of his following. They resented the fact that Jesus taught as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. They resented that. Now, Pilate, he was not a righteous man, but he was savvy. He knew what they were doing. If he had any bit of courage, any integrity at all, he would have ended the whole thing right there. But again, he's only looking out for himself. He would have said, if you're any kind of man with any kind of backbone, I am not going to take an innocent man and punish him because you are envious of him. But he had no backbone. All he cared about was himself under this kind of pressure. So instead, um, he turns things over to popular opinion. He gives the people the choice. You know, leaders like Pilate or, or people like Pilate forever have their finger up in the wind to see which way it's blowing, and then they do something so as to satisfy the crowd. Unfortunately, that happens in churches today. And then they tell the people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. That's a shame. Now, Matthew, all this is going on. Matthew includes an interesting side note. Look at it, Matthew 27, 19. Besides, okay, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, that is Pilate, um, his wife sent word to him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So while Pilate was sitting on the Bama seat, a message comes from home, a note from his wife. You talk about pressure. There's the pressure of the Sanhedrin. There's the pressure of, of the crowd. 
uh, fears of, of, of Caesar, of Tiberius Caesar, and, and now you have your wife in the picture who tells you, ah, don't do that, honey. Very wise. You know, my wife has warned me about people in the past. She's been 100% right 100%, 100% of the time. Be careful of that person. Too late. Too late. <laughs> she said she's had dreams about this righteous man. Okay, back to verse 11. But, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So here you have these priests and politicians from the Sanhedrin. They're working the crowd. Hey, 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 vote for Barabbas. Don't vote for Jesus, vote for Barabbas. So standing there like a bunch of dumb sheep, their leaders telling them what they should do, who they should choose, the, the crowds, as always, are easily manipulated. Yeah? Crowds can be easily manipulated. Just listen to the news. Well, I shouldn't say that. When you do listen to the news, don't listen too intently, but you'll see how easily crowds are swayed back and forth, to and fro. I find that when I dialogue with people about whatever, philosophy, politics, let alone theology, all they're doing, you can tell people who don't think. They regurgitate what they hear at 6 o'clock, the news. Verse 12, and Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Who do you want? Okay, what about this Jesus? What would you have me do with Jesus? And they cried out, verse 13, again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, crucify him. Frightening scene. Frightening scene. Put yourself there. So um, wanting to release him, we have to ask the question, what really changed Pilate's mind? He knows the man is innocent. He wants to release him. He, he sought every way to release him. Well, John tells us what changed his mind. Look at it, chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar, Pilate. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. Okay, implied, implied in their words is the threat. If you let Jesus go, we will file a, a complaint. We will file against you a complaint to Caesar and tell him that you have actively allowed a treason, an insurrectionist against Rome, and you freed a man who claims to be king. Verse 15, John 19. 
They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, to them, shall I crucify your king? The, the chief priests now, the chief priests who hate Rome, they hate Caesar, answered, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So in an absurd act of injustice, Pilate sacrifices the innocent man, the innocent life on the altar of his own personal ambition. Hands him over. Now it's at that point that we read in Matthew 27, 24, look at it. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. A unanimous, all the people answered decision. They called for his crucifixion, essentially calling down a curse on their own heads. And indeed, that would be made manifest in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So, verse 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Thousands to this day, millions probably to this day, want to satisfy the crowd and and they reject Christ in order to protect their position in order to protect their promotion, in order to guard themselves and and protect themselves with regard to, to academic respect. Right? You may be tempted to walk away when when someone laughingly says, (laughs) you believe the Bible to be literal, as in God's word, literally God's word, you believe that? You believe that God just created? You believe Genesis account? You believe it? Well, if you don't believe that, when do you start believing the Bible? What verse? What chapter? This is a temptation for us, is it not? Yeah. Now, Pilate's response, notice, was threefold. First, he releases Barabbas, verse 15a. Imagine... Sitting in his cell, contemplating his impending execution, someone barges in and says, Barabbas, you can go. You're set free. Jesus, the one they call the Christ, he's going to be crucified in your place. You're free to go. Now, for Barabbas... It was only a means by which he would be delivered from physical death. But for those who know Jesus as Lord and as Savior means far more than just physical freedom. You can insert your name as the prisoner. You, insert your, insert your name in your mind. Just insert your name. You are free. Jesus, who is the Christ, has been crucified in your place. You're free. You're free. So first, he, he releases Barabbas. Secondly, Pilate had Jesus scourged, verse 15b. 
Now, think about everything that has led to this moment, beloved. Think about the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane at that midnight hour. The arrest by temple guards who came with with clubs and swords and lamps. Um, Think about his mock trial, the brutal beating, the humiliation, the spit in his face, the hands of his enemies laid upon him, punching him, dragged from religious trial to civil trial and back around again. Think of the exhaustion, up all night, physically and mentally exhausted, dehydrated, and now scourged. A brutal, grotesque form of punishment. As a matter of fact, Roman scourging was was so grotesque that even the Roman emperor Domitian, that evil emperor, was horrified by it. The instrument was the flagellum, a whip of leather cords plated with with, um, sharp pieces of bone and lead. The victim would be stripped down, tied to a post, and flogged until his flesh hung in bleeding shreds. Sometimes, historians tell us, that his internal organs and bones were visible. Scourging. But 700 years before this scourging, we read the words of the prophet Isaiah as regards the promised coming suffering servant, the Messiah, son of the living God, Jesus the Christ, when he wrote 700 years before in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, by his scourging, his stripes, we are healed. Spiritually healed. Spiritually healed. That's the second thing. He frees Barabbas, scourges Jesus, and then thirdly, he delivers him to be crucified, which we'll see when we get to verse 21. Pilate turned to the crowd and he asked the all-important question, what then shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews, the one called the Christ? They said, crucify him. That's the narrative. That's what happened. So what? Now what? Well, let me rephrase the question, and and let me pose it to you um, this morning, and it's this. What then shall you do with the man they call the Christ? What will you do with this man they call the Christ? Will you bow down and, and worship him in spirit of truth? Spirit and truth, that's how true worshipers worship, spirit and truth. Or will you attempt to exchange him for an imposter? Exchange him. The way, the truth, and the life, exchange him for, 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 for false gods of your own mind, your own imagination, um, a different kind of Christ. Um, my kind of Christ is just one of many ways. You exchange the truth, Four, a lie. Let me direct your attention to Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Rome, Romans chapter 1. Now, this is where Paul speaks of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Chapter 1, verse 18. The primary act of evil described there 
is the suppression of truth. God's revealed himself simply in nature, and men attempt to suppress that truth. They attempt to hold down that truth. And Paul goes on to say that God has revealed himself clearly through the things that are made so that every single person on this planet knows the existence and righteousness of God, and therefore they stand without excuse. He goes on, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since what? The creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, that is the heart of fallen, sinful mankind left to themselves. That is where you stand without sola gratia. The most offensive and foundational sin of humanity is the refusal to give glory to Almighty God. It's a matter of refusing to worship the living God, the one and only creator, the one with whom you have to do. Refusing him, which results, by the way, in a refusal to give thanks to him, obviously, without thanks. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Thankless. See, we, left to ourselves, we, we deny the fact that we have nothing without him. Without him, we have nothing. You know, contrary to popular belief that, that God owes us something. Does God owe you anything? No. Think again. He owes me nothing. He owes you nothing. Everything we have is according to the, the providential, benevolent providence and goodness of God. Everything. So if we think that we're owed something, we'll be thankless, and the ultimate insult is that we will make gods of our own. Amen? We'll make gods of our own. We will recreate God in our image. Notice verse 22, Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. They became fools. And what did they do? Notice, they exchanged. They exchanged. Title of the message, The Great Exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Those are your tree huggers. Those are your earth lovers. Those are your animal lovers. Romans 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Given a choice, in our fallen, sinful, natural condition, men and women naturally vote for and cry out, give me Barabbas. Left to ourselves, we cry out for a Barabbas to this very day. Give me Mother Earth. 
Give me Buddha. Give me Hare Krishna. Give me Oprah. Give me Dr. Phil. As for Jesus, let him be crucified. Kill his voice. Kill him from my conscience. Kill him from my mind. Kill him from the conviction of my heart. Get him out of here. Give me Barabbas. I'll exchange the truth for a lie. And I will praise the gods of my own making, even if my God is me. We'll exchange the truth for a lie. Others, others think that a plea of ignorance on the last day will free them from any kind of guilty verdict before Almighty God. They will say, Lord, God, we, we weren't atheists. We were agnostic. We, we were agnostic, meaning without knowledge. The Latins... Ignoramus. Ignoramus. We weren't atheists. We were agnostics. We were ignoramuses, rightly so. But no plea of ignorance will stand on that day, the moment you take your last breath, because who holds your breath in his hand? God. You remember God's judgment back in Daniel 5? with one King Belshazzar? Listen to what he said. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Guilty. Exchanging the one true God for a lie has been the attempt of man, beloved, from the beginning. From the beginning. Nowhere more clearly expressed than right here on this day in Jerusalem as this group exchanged the Son of God for a hardened criminal. Exchanged. They traded the only begotten of the Father for a murderer named Son of the Father, Barabbas. But yet, the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the one true God, in his grace, came to this fallen, cursed earth so as to exchange himself for sinners. That was his purpose, his will, his decreed will from before the foundation of the earth. He would send his son in exchange for wretched sinners that deserve the wrath of God. Now, it is believed that the two men who were crucified, one on the right and one on the left of our Lord Jesus Christ, were involved with Barabbas in this Insurrection, the insurrection, especially since the same word is used to describe them as is used to describe Barabbas in verse 27. With him, they crucified two robbers. John chapter 18, verse 40 is where Barabbas is described as a robber. 
Now, the fact that three crosses had been prepared for this particular day suggests that Pilate had already ordered the execution of Barabbas along with his cohorts. And if that's the case, then Jesus, the Son of God, literally and physically dies in the place of Barabbas, son of Abba. Jesus, the Christ, quite literally and physically dies in the place of Jesus, Barabbas. Amazing. Friends, we see here in the Barabbas story a living parable of our redemption. A vivid picture of our own redemption because like this man, we deserve death. Like Barabbas, we deserve death. And like him, in Christ, we have escaped execution. Because Jesus was executed and died in our place and condemned there, he stood. Isaiah 53, verse 6. You can just listen to this. I don't have this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own what? Way. Jesus is the way. To our own way. That's a comprehensive statement. We all, y'all, we all have left the path laid out for us by our creator. We have turned to our own way, deliberately rebelling against our creator, spitting right in his face as they did on this day. No better. Yet, yet, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Literally, to strike him. Literally, to strike him. He has caused our sin to strike him, the lamb. The silent lamb. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. That's what we've just studied. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And verse 8, Isaiah 53, as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, says Yahweh. Those to whom... The stroke was due. It was laid upon the sun. That, friends, is the great exchange. That is the ultimate exchange. The righteous one who stands in the place, who stood in the place of the guilty. For our sake, he made him to be sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. That's what took place 
on this day. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. To God. Do you believe who Jesus is and what he has done? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe who he is and what he has done? And secondly, do you desire what Jesus offers? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, eternal rest. Rejoice in Christ because of the great exchange. Come to Christ, I bid you today, if you're not in Christ, because of the great exchange, and you'll experience it in living color for the glory of God. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen? And amen. Father, we do thank you for your word again. We thank you for the great exchange, the one who was condemned in our place, the innocent one, the only one, your son, our Lord. Lord, let us be mindful of the silence of your lamb who stood on this day, not to make a defense for himself, but to be condemned in our place so we could be set free. We rejoice and we thank you. We praise you forevermore for this gift of grace in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.